sedimentary my dear a conversational podcast about all things geology i'm your host ellen and i'm jane what are we talking about today so today we're going to be decking the halls (gasps) with a festive fan favorite stocking stuffer (laughs) which i may or may not have given to my lovely sibling at some point in her life (laughs) and she has a sample and it was because she was obviously a bad kid that year I was very naughty. (laughs) So I gave her some coal. (laughs) This is what happens when you know a geologist, everyone out there. This is what happens. This is a cautionary tale, I should say. (laughs) Yeah, this is not, um, we're going to call on 34th Street. No. This is a Christmas carol. (laughs) It is is a little more like a Christmas carol, yes. (laughs) But there was no bah humbugs to be had because I was very excited about the coal that I had collected. So I I had actually hand collected the sample. She also mined it with her bare hands. I did. It was just important. Well, with a hammer. It wasn't really like I just... I don't have awesome Hulk hands. I had to use a hammer. But yes, I I collected this sample myself. And and so I I provided to her my beautifully hard-won sample that was taken Mm. from a random roadside stop in a field trip (laughs) that I had in my in my geology class. In my You're saying you got me a Christmas present from the side of the road? I'm saying that it was worth it. (laughs) It was worth it, is what I'm saying. It's actually really cool. People say diamonds are forever. But coal coal is till you burn it. Yes. Coal is continually releasing gases into our atmosphere so it's forever even more i would like to say but that's, that's fine yeah that's probably true it's fine diamonds are pretty stable they're not off gassing constantly no so destroying the environment that's fine no big deal it's no big deal so yeah we're talking about coal today nice so ellen what is coal i feel like coal is like a a material uh-huh. that's made out of carbon uh-huh that's been squished a lot. It's been through the hot squish. Very. One might these say. are very technical terms that we use on this term on the on the show. Yes. Listeners of our podcast will be familiar with the term the hot squish. Yes. It's not a rock, is it? It is. Oh, okay. So did. it's probably an ign- igneous rock. No, no, it's not. It's actually sedimentary rock. Oh, right? which is uh, important because that's our that's our podcast. It's very important. Oh, right. It's sedimentary, my dear. Oh, isn't it? a sediment. I'm proud of myself for remembering one. I'm thing. proud of you too. Coal's a sedimentary rock. Actually, you I do there. know there's different different quality coal yep this is what i learned in in school and did i give you good or poor quality coal i mean my assumption is that it's poor quality coal is pretty like city it was middle of the road but we'll. i don't we'll actually know how to i know there's different types of coal i don't know how to tell them apart from each other that wasn't part of my course yes that i took because the course that i took in school so everyone knows that i studied design already so i took an elective once that was called humans and the environment or something crazy and i was like whatever that sounds cool. Well, I just needed to take a this t- specific type of science course, and I really didn't want to take a lab because I, I had a lot of other work to do. I had a lot of other practical work to I do. Understand. It's not that I As actually would have loved to take a lab. Labs, I yeah. understand. I didn't want to take any courses that had other discussion or whatever either. So, I mean, to be fair, I treated all of my electives equally, and I would have taken a lab, but it's just like a lot of extra work that I didn't want to do, and I had to do all these other things. Yeah. So, I took a course that didn't have a lab, and it ended up being a course that was essentially about humans impact on the environment. So a lot of it was about like waste management. So I learned about like how you build a landfill, which is all very useful information to have. We had to like calculate our waste that we had created for like in terms of garbage we'd thrown out. Did it make you carry it around campus? No, (laughs) 
we just had to calculate it. I happened to use a lot of paper at that time because I was delivering a design project. So mine had a my the type of stuff. We had to you had like, a very large quantity of paper waste. Paper, is what you're saying? and the the type of thing we had to you know calculate if it was like um you know like sh- I don't I can't remember what the word is but like short term consumables where it's like something that you're supposed to use within a couple of it's designed to be used within a couple of years or like a a long term consumable object like a couch for example. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, that was my science class in university and there was no math involved. So no lab and no math. But it was I think it was actually pretty useful for life. But they talked to uh, one of the topics of discussion was energy generation. And so coal was, of course, briefly discussed as part of that. So I do know there's different types of coal and some are worse for the environment than others. <laughs> I have one other. I know one other thing. Okay, about what's, coal. what's the other fact before I get into it? I think that mining coal can be pretty hazardous to human health, too. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. So, of course, there's like things like black lung and whatever. But because it's a precious resource, people have been trying to get at it for many, many years before mine safety, mining safety was a thing. So, I mean, even after mining safety was a thing. That's true. Still... But I think it used to be even worse. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very we weren't really going to get into the the impacts of human health, but it is we're probably going to have I was planning on eventually doing probably a mining episode because mm-hmm. the way that you mine coal there's multiple different ways that it's mined. Um, some are worse than others, but I was just going to, you know, save that mm-hmm. for another day. Maybe when we talk about like individual mining practices mm-hmm. for specific resources. Anyway, so those are all my facts that I know about coal. Woohoo. Okay. Yay. Well, that, I mean, that's something. So she's yes. right. Coal is a rock. It's a sedimentary <laughs> rock and its main constituent is carbon. And it does have other, it's included with other elements as well. So there's like oxygen and nitrogen and sulfur you know some other little bits and pieces Mm -hmm. spattered in there the way that coal comes into being is that it's formed it takes thousands and thousands of years what happens is you have areas like marshes or swamps or bogs and you have a lot of plants in those areas so Mm -hmm. you'll have millions of plants that are just dying and accumulating in these you know swampy areas Mm -hmm. and under certain conditions these plants will lithify which is that's the technical term for transforming into stone. Oh. So the lithify, and this is usually through a combination of like biochemical and physical processes, but mainly the hot squish, as Ellen described, that's the main <laughs> way that things lithify. So they com- become pr- compressed together, I yes. guess, for people who maybe didn't listen to yes. whatever episode of the they podcast They get squished was. and are subjected to some form of heat. Now, coal is interesting because it doesn't require nearly as much heat as most other rocks do to combine, probably mm-hmm. because it's made of you know, organic material, it's not made from a hard silicaceous substance, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. not made from something that's equivalent to glass. It's made from a squishy plant stalk. So it doesn't take mm-hmm. nearly as much heat. But yeah, for coal to form, the plants need to accumulate and they have to accumulate either underwater, or they have to be buried very quickly. And they because mm-hmm. they can't have access to air. Otherwise, when they have access to, you know, available atmosphere, the oxygen mm-hmm. combines with the carbon that's in the plants, and it actually mm-hmm. will escape as CO2 during the, de- mm-hmm. the decomposition process. So basically, it'll just decompose the plants without trapping the carbon if you don't have it covered with something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's the basic formation of coal. And coal, as Ellen mentioned, it has several different grades or ranks. Some people call it ranks, but it's, you know, some are higher than others. Mm -hmm. But before coal becomes coal, there's kind of an in-between step where it goes from dead plant to something solid. Uh So this in-between stage is what we call peat. Peat? 
Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you knew. So peat, it's not actually considered coal. It's rather it's like, you know, the precursor to coal. Peat is a solid, but it's very, very soft and it's made up of organic materials. So is it it's not a rock. They don't classify peat as a rock. I think some people may call it a rock. I mean, I would just call it a solid. I would call it an organic solid is probably how I would describe it. Yeah. But it's I've not, never actually seen peat. It's myself, more like so. it's like so it's made of the decayed plant matter. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there'll be like mineral deposits in there. Well, so like rocks and stuff. But mm-hmm. it's solid enough that you can cut it into chunks. So a lot of people mm-hmm. cut it into kind of brick like shapes. And it mm-hmm. really looks like a, a like a primitive brick where you have like a kind of a black blackish brown substrate with like little bits of hay and stuff sticking out of it you know what i mean yeah my in my mind peat looks kind of kind of grassy you know it does i mean it's like it's still it looks like what the medieval version of bricks you know it doesn't look like concrete it does look like bricks yeah i mean well that's how people cut it yeah people cut it that way but yeah it holds its shape it's solid enough for that but you can crumble it apart in your hands you know what i mean it's not so compacted that you can't easily rip it apart if you want to. Mm-hmm. So these dead plants, they fall into, you know, a swamp or a marsh or a bog. You I feel know. like I've only ever heard the term peat bog. Yeah, ever, they become so. compact, compacted over time as more plants. Usually what happens is, you know, you have the first layer of plants and then more plants go on top of it and more plants go on top of it. And so it keeps like compressing your plants down further and further. And then, mm-hmm. and then a lot of times it gets buried. And so that's how you get the compacted, like the fully compacted peat and this compaction what it's doing is it actually is squeezing out water from the plant Mm -hmm. and that's what helps it solidify into a more like a solid mass rather than Mm -hmm. you know just a wet smelly blob (laughs) when the peat is placed under heat Mm. and more pressure that's when it becomes coal okay so it doesn't become whole until heat is included in this compaction process how do you actually get heat usually it's geothermal so so it just gets lower and lower underground And it's closer and closer to... Yes, it's geothermal and then also can be from mountain building events or other things like that. But generally... Friction. Yeah, but generally it's geothermal. The deeper down Mm -hmm. it goes, the warmer it gets. It doesn't Mm -hmm. require a whole heck of a lot of heat to create coal, unlike a lot of Mm -hmm. other types of rocks and minerals that we've talked about before. Hmm. Yeah, peat bogs are a thing and they smell and they're gross. And zero (laughs) out of ten, do not jump in one. (laughs) Zero out of ten, do not let your dogs jump in them. I've seen videos of people walking their dogs in like Scotland and then dogs for some reason really like the smell of like dead gross things. And so a lot of times Mm -hmm. they'll just like jump and roll on like dead gross things. So I've seen Mm -hmm. so many people let their dogs off leash and then they like jump straight into a peat bog. And I'm like, oh, no, this Labrador. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a swamp monster. No. The thing is with peat bogs is they're kind of just a hole with water in them. It's very swampy mm-hmm. and they can be, you know, varying sizes. But if something, someone or something falls in there and drowns, mm. you know, the body will sink to the bottom of the bog. Mm. And because of that, it actually goes through the same process that peat does or, you know, plant matter does. Because it's covered in water, it's not decomposing the same way that you would expect for things that are exposed it's at the surface. covered in water and other plant Exactly. And so what it well. does is it actually becomes mummified, essentially. So you mm. get bodies, objects, and, you know, and sheep and whatever, and they become mummified. <laughs> so you can actually look up, you know, interesting images of Yeah, if you're humans. okay with being mildly horrified, <laughs> you can see um, peat bog. Mummies. Mummies. They are very well preserved. It's It's very interesting. And the thing is, like, the mummies who are, like, recently preserved mummies and, like, ancient mummies... They look very similar because they all look end up kind of looking the same. You know, they all end up looking just and it's weird because it's like you 
your skin becomes black from all of the gross organics that are in that water. Hmm. And anyway, so, you know, that's a thing. So we're going to go and talk more about coal <laughs> now and not mummies and peat bogs. <laughs> Again, don't jump in one. They're gross. Or like my friend Caroline fell in one one time and that was not fun. What makes it gross? Because it smelled. It's full of dead, decaying animals plants. and plants. And animals. Yeah, so it's disgusting. Okay. It just smells like gross. So there are four major types or ranks or grades of coal. When we refer to the ranking or the grade of the coal, it refers to the process of, they call it coalification. So hmm. the process of the coal becoming more coal-like, I guess would be the word. I mean, geologists and they're like, <laughs> super straightforward words it's a it's a thing geology is funny to me for, because of that that's why i really <laughs> enjoy it but anyway so it's just this very slow process of burial and heat mm-hmm. yeah just a little bit of heat more compression more time the more compression and the more time that you get the denser the material the peat mm-hmm. becomes into a coal the drier the more carbon rich it is because everything else gets squeezed out. So like all the gases Mm -hmm. that are in there get squeezed out and yeah, and it's a more solid material. So the four ranks, the four grades of coal, the four ranks of coal that we have are lignite, subbituminous, bituminous, and anthracite. So sometimes people combine the subbituminous and bituminous together. But when I was taught in school, we taught, we were taught them separately. So was I weirdly. Yeah. So it just depends on where you read it, what Mm -hmm. literature you're looking at. So lignite, Lignite is your lowest grade coal. It is a brown coal. It's like, that's another term for it. Is people call it brown coal. So it's like not black yet. Like it's not solid like black. You, you know, peat, it's kind of like an in-between between the peat. Obviously, it's an in-between between the peat and the coal, like, you know, the beautiful shiny anthracite coal, which mm-hmm. we'll get to. But Yeah, peat still looks pretty. It's like dark brown. Yeah. Pretty dark brown. It just looks like weird dirt. Anyway, so <laughs> lignite. It's lowest grade, as I said. It has the lowest concentration of carbon comparatively to the other coals. So it only has 25 to 30% carbon. So a quarter of its constituent is carbon. The rest of it is other elements and gases and water and stuff like that. And it forms under low heat and it has a low sulfur content. And it's in a pretty limited supply. It's only found in really specific places throughout the world. Mm -hmm. The next grade that we have is subbituminous. Subbituminous coal is usually kind of a black color. It's very dull looking. It's not shiny. And it has a higher heating value than lignite. So it burns for longer than lignite, but it's still not a great coal. It's not like the best coal. The higher up you go in quality, the more cleaner they burn. Yes. Yes. Because they have less inclusions of, you know, gases and stuff like that, that react when burned, when combusted. That's what really is causing the problems. Mm. And subbituminous coal is actually the sample I gave you was a sample of subbituminous. It was kind of somewhere between subbituminous and bituminous. You could kind of argue for either. It doesn't have that much brown in it. But yeah, it's mostly sam- black. She also gave me more than one sample. Like there's more than one piece and the one Well, piece... one was for your husband. <laughs> so You just stole your husband's rock. That's rude. My, my I guess, cold. What, my husband's I guess cold. What, what's hers is mine and what's mine is hers. <laughs> yeah, What's yeah, cold exactly. is mine. It's definitely not, uh, it's not bituminous, No, I would say. So subbituminous no. coal is more crumbly. It has less, it's still not fully compacted into, it's still, it's a rock, but it's easy to kind of like, you know, you could kind of like pick off pieces of the edge of it. You know, it's not so solid that it's, you, you wouldn't expect to be able to break off a piece without taking a hammer to it. Mm-hmm. And it also leaves a kind of black residue on your hands too. Mm-hmm. Again, it just leaves some carbon residue on your hands, so that's another way you know it's a lower grade. 
So bituminous is also called, bituminous coal is the next grade up and it's the, the next rank and it's called soft coal. That's like another term for it. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a mid rank between the lignite and the anthracite coal, which is the highest rank. It has usually between 34 to 86% carbon. That's like the, the definition for bituminous. Okay. Subbituminous falls within that, but it has, you know, it's on the lower end of that carbon range. Mm-hmm. And bituminous usually has a high heat value. So that means that it can produce a lot of energy, which is good. Mm-hmm. But it also has a high sulfur content. It still has a pretty mm-hmm. large continent of content of extra constituents that we don't need that when they're burned create a variety of gases that we don't need in our atmosphere. So that's why mm-hmm. bituminous can be not so great. And it's actually the most common coal that we use for electricity generation in the U.S. Hmm. So it's also it's the most abundant that we have in the U.S. too, which makes sense why hmm. it's the most common. Bituminous coal looks shiny and it looks smooth when you first see it. But if you look closer, you'll actually see it still has layers to it. It doesn't look like mm-hmm. one solid rock, if that makes sense. I mean, it is. It's a solid rock, but it looks like a cake. It has layers within it. Mm-hmm. So last coal that we're going to talk about which is the the peak of the peak coal it's the best coal it's anthracite <laughs> the creme de la creme yeah, the, of coal <laughs> the creme de la creme the highest ranking coal is anthracite so it's a hard coal and it's the highest grade coal that you'll find it is a it's hard it's brittle it's black and lustrous so it has a really mm-hmm. nice sheen to it shiny yeah shiny again we can't use shiny in geology but we'll use oh, yeah, shiny sorry. here i can yeah you can yeah. use shiny <laughs> And it contains a high percentage of fixed carbon compared to, you know, compared to the other ranks of coal that we were looking at. It has the highest amount of carbon. Hmm. So it's 86 to 97 percent carbon, like percentage wise. Oh, so it's almost completely carbon. Yeah. Or whatever. And then it has mm-hmm. a pretty low percentage of volatiles and it actually has a low sulfur content, which is good because when you have more sulfur, you have more bad going into the atmosphere and that's not what you want. So mm. the only problem is anthracite is in very limited supply especially mm-hmm. in the U.S., and it only accounts for about, like, less than 1% of coal in the U.S. Wow. for production and electricity purposes. So it's very limited. It must also be difficult to get because it's deep, must be deep. Well, I don't know. I guess it depends on what happened, but it, it would have to have been subjected to more pressure and temperature to become that way. Yeah, it's just less abundant. There's just less of it, and it's harder to get mm-hmm. to. Um, but all of these resources for coal are non-renewable. It's something that that's a term mm-hmm. that we talk about when we talk about energy consumption. It's a non-renewable mm-hmm. resource. So eventually we're gonna have to go for what we can find because once you burn coal, it ain't coming back. <laughs> so you're saying we'll all be burning peat eventually? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But I mean, on that note, I did want to talk about global resources for so coal is not just like I, I'm talking about the U.S. because we're in the U.S. Yeah. and well, I'm in it. You're in Canada. You the the knowledgeable host, <laughs> the one who the I was trained in the U.S., so I know much more about U.S. stuff. So it's easier to talk yes. about it. But you know, coal is produced and used globally. It's not just a U.S. energy source. Mm-hmm. And I checked out some. I tried to find some numbers here, and the International Energy Agency, the IEA, said that mm-hmm. as of 2018, coal accounted for 38.5 percent of global power. So almost less than I expected. Yeah, but it's almost 40% of the entire Mm -hmm. global power, including oil and gas 
and yep. you know nuclear, nuclear power, and anything renewable and solar mm-hmm. that's a lot and the thing is china alone accounts for about half of the global coal consumption of mm-hmm. anybody which is, is insane. there like a lot of coal in china there is there's a lot of coal okay. they have huge deposits but also it's just that's just what they're mining so yes it's convenient for them so we have mm-hmm. china with 2,693 megatons of coal. a lot of coal. So one megaton is equal to a million kilograms. Okay. A megaton with an E. Yes. It's T-O-N-N-E. Yes. Yes. Yeah. One megaton is equal to a million kilograms. So that's... All of our listeners who aren't in the U.S. are like, duh. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like a crazy quantity. That's a huge amount. And then the second, who's not even close, but second place is India with 769 megatons, which is you know, not even comparable really to China. China is just so much, has so much more coal going on. Mm-hmm. Um, the United States is 640. So we're third place. We're number three. Yeah. And then Indonesia is 616 megatons. And then Australia is fifth with 503 megatons. Mm-hmm. Western Europe currently is trying to phase out their coal usage. Mm-hmm. And mainly they're trying to do it through regulation. Mm. The thing is Western Europe is fortunate because they have a lot of other sources of energy that they can use wind wind well they also a lot of them have nuclear power yes you know italy and several other places have geothermal power so mm, you know that's true it's relatively convenient for them but wind is a big and solar spain has a huge one of the largest solar farms in the world mm-hmm. so you know that's anyway they're working towards that but eastern europe i think all those like coastal western europe and like you know like germany i think has a significant amount of wind power, like in the northern, like nor- in the sea north of Germany and stuff like that. So that's the thing. Interesting enough, interestingly enough, Eastern Europe is not one of these countries that's trying to go places, It's not countries, but yes, one of these countries. Yes, it's Air a regions. group of countries. Yes, <laughs> Eastern Europe is not. You know, it, it Eastern Europe has a huge coal reserve and specifically they have a giant lignite coal reserve which is interesting because it's one of the least clean coals i guess you could say for sources of energy i was gonna ask you because the list that you're going through basically listed like essentially the largest countries in the world as the you know like it like uh geographically speaking so like china like the u.s australia they're very large so I was going to ask you about Russia. Russia's fourth. Like, or, excuse me, Russia's sixth on the list. Oh, okay. It just depends on what reserves they have and if they're under ice, hmm. really. I mean, like, the I see. It, it really depends on where are the reserves located. Are they convenient to mine? Are there other things that they can use? They can resource that are more convenient uh-huh. rather than mining. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of energy consumption and energy production are really related to price. Like it all comes down to the bottom line. Like, can people make a buck from this? Mm-hmm. Is it more expensive to try to get this coal out of the ground than it is to try to go for other renewable resources mm. or, or other know, non-renewable resources? Yeah, or other or no, or go for oil or yeah. you know, gas. Obviously, Natural like in gas. like Saudi Arabia and stuff like that, their production, their main energy sources oil. is oil and gas yes i would guess yes yeah so you know it just it just depends on where what what kind of reserves do you have and where i live we have hydroelectric power yeah yeah you do have quite a bit of that yeah you do have quite a bit of hydroelectric there yes and also nuclear yeah no (laughs) (laughs) i like nuclear it's fine um 
better than coal, probably, but I don't know. They all have their ups and downs. We also learned in the class about how nuclear waste is dispo- disposed of and stored. So, yes. Yes, <laughs> yes. We, they all have their ups and downs. That's why a reason that nuclear and is not I, included on the renewable resources list. I, and I have anyway. my free iodine pills, so. <laughs> so, <laughs> there are several countries in Eastern Europe that mainly use lignite. As, Interesting. And even some of them have them as their... Germany, actually, until really recently, lignite was their main source of electricity. Wow, interesting. Until very, very recently. Now it's wind. Mm-hmm. Wind is their number one energy source, but barely. It mm-hmm. barely edges out the lignite It's like 50.02% or something. Yes. And then the other... I, that was a joke. I don't actually know what it is. It's, it's close. It, it is really close. It's almost like that. Okay. The other EU countries that are like top lignite users mm-hmm. are Poland Greece, Bulgaria, and Romania. Mm. And there are others, but those are the top ones. Okay. Interesting. Okay, so that's like global resources. But let's talk, for me, I'm going to talk about some U.S. resources. Okie dokie. So I got my information from the U.S. Energy Information Administration because I don't know these numbers. I had to look it up. And they list it in terms of power rather than in terms of, you know, megatons that were mineable or usable. Mm-hmm. It, they listed in terms of, you know, how much energy was actually used. Okay. And generally, people measure energy in the U.S. by electricity. That's a lot of times. It's like so how much electricity, kilowatt hours, how much something? work was done. You know, yeah, exactly. So, but they list it in British thermal units BTUs. Okay. So it's in quadrillion BTUs. Wow. <laughs> okay. Quadrillion BTUs. What's like? Of do energy. you know? I'm gonna ask you a question. You probably don't know, but what's like an average home consumption in BTUs? I actually used to know for class, but I can't remember. You can Google it. Um, According to energy.gov the average american consumes 149 million btus in residential and transportation related energy so the energy for consumption of coal by the entirety of the u.s is listed in quadrillion btus (laughs) okay so we were talking about million btus one quadrillion a million million it's a billion million a billion million (laughs) yes one quadrillion is a billion million btus okay okay that's a lot yeah it's a lot. Uh-huh. So coal in 2008, we consumed about 22.4 quadrillion BTUs of energy worth of coal from That's coal specifically. So that was about 23% of the total energy consumption in the United yes. States at the time. Yes. Hmm. And then renewables at the time in 2008 were 7-ish percent. So like 7.1. Wow, really? Yes. 7.2-ish BTUs. So in 2019... Coal consumption has dropped significantly. So in 2019, the coal consumption was 11.3 quad- quadrillion wow, BTUs. That's good. So that's 50 down 50 percent. Yes, and the thing is, though, because coal has gone down, oil and gas have gone up. Mm, they have increased. So not that great. <laughs> the renewables not a, not a hugely great. Story. And the renewables <laughs> have gone up. Uh-huh. In 2019, they've gone from in 2008 they were seven ish percent. Now they're about 11 percent of the mm. total energy consumption in the United States. So coal and, and renewables are actually, all, they're the same now, essentially. They're almost hmm. the, the exact same amount of usage. But Renewable energy would be like solar, wind, geothermal. And also anything that's made from biomaterials. Biomass energy. Yeah, biomass. And then non-renewable would be like coal, oil, gas. Nuclear 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 is considered under its own the thing is like there's a difference there's like fossil fuels which is its own category and then there's mm. nuclear and then there's yeah. renewables that's essentially how all the energy is kind of divided uh, out so okay. fossil fuels would include oil 
gas, coal, and anything that kind of falls within those categories because there's some like fringe things that you can get from there. And then nuclear is its own thing. And then mm-hmm. renewables. So there's everything else. Yeah, yeah, everything else. And every okay. other kind of production process that you have. Cool. Okay. But anyway, so the point is that we had a, we so had a, we had a significant gone drop. Down, but other stuff has gone up. But yeah, so a large, a large force in the U.S., you know, even though it's still less now, there's still a large force in the U.S. that is using coal. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, Ellen, how did that coal get there? Well, you told me that it <laughs> formed in a bog. <laughs> <laughs> and then it got squished slowly underground and then it got hotter. <laughs> okay, well, yes, the hot squish. So <laughs> let me take you back a couple million years. And by a couple, oh, I mean like 400 million years. I didn't realize we were going to have time travel this episode. We are having time travel. It's, it's pretty great. So about 400 million years ago, this time of the world was called the... I feel like December 4,000 yes. million years ago. <laughs> this, this time of the world was actually called... We have this whole time of the world. It's from about mm, like, like 600-ish million years ago to about 280-ish million years ago. That whole chunk of time, we call it the Paleozoic era. Okay. And there was a bunch of different periods within the Paleozoic era. This is in the in the Cambrian era? No. This it's, is all pre-Cambrian? So pre-Cambrian is before this. The Cambrian yes. is the first period within the Paleozoic era. Oh, okay. So the Cambrian is, is a small portion. In fact, we can go through a very brief history of the world um, and do... Well, we did that in another episode. Well, we did for the Precambrian. We didn't get it beyond that. So Precambrian oh, okay. is when all of all these cool things are happening. We got all this, um, you know, land forming, ocean forming. We got yeah, a lot of like waves. bacteria. It was hot. You know, there was bacteria. There yeah, was no atmosphere. It was great. The moon crashed into us. Well, I mean, there's well, at this point, there's atmosphere. So anyway, so at this point, okay. there's atmosphere. The thing is, like, the Paleozoic era starts with the Cambrian, and the Cambrian is so distinct in our lifetime as an earth not as my lifetime because this was like yes. whatever however many million years ago um a blink but yeah. we define the start of the paleozoic is when paleozoic is when all of these we have a huge abundance of life appearing hmm. so we call it the cambrian explosion it's the cambrian explosion <laughs> of life I like where that. you have all sorts of sea critters popping in and they're all really funky looking because <laughs> you know evolution hadn't figured itself out yet so they're all really weird looking <laughs> But, you know, you know, they're getting it together. They're getting their life together. They're learning. It's fine. They're literally getting together. They're literally single-celled <laughs> organisms getting together and becoming multi-celled organisms. So that was yes. like, that was like, so this is the early Paleozoic. So from like okay. 542 million years ago to about 488 million years ago, we have the Cambrian period. Okay. And then after that, we have the Ordovician and then the Silurian. So during the Ordovician we have the rise of jawless fish. We have fish that don't have any jaws. It's exciting. <laughs> That's like, I guess for context, there's still jawless fish. Like, I mean, there are. Fish. Yeah. 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 Fish. But like the thing is, modern fish with jaws didn't happen until much later. So it's exciting at the mm-hmm. time because it's like, you know, bef- we finally have some some like weird leech like things slugging around, you know, it's yeah. pretty cool. It's, it's pretty exciting. exciting. It's yeah. an exciting time. To be marine life. I just wanted to explain what a jawless fish is. No, that was good. It was good. It was a good thing you called it out. And we also get more diverse marine life. So we get okay. things like corals and stuff like that and brachiopods Whoa. and different kinds of, you know, shelled critters, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. And then we have a series of a series of orogenies. So meaning different mountain building events. Okay. Yeah, we had a series of orogenies that occurred throughout 
the early Paleozoic to the mid Paleozoic to the late Paleozoic even <laughs> in the Silurian. Another thing that we had was, what was exciting about the Silurian? Oh, we had wingless insects. That's when they started appearing. Cool. And we had the rise of land plants. They started to appear. We had early land plants. <laughs> Most of them were ferns. ferns. That's fine. We're pumped about it. It's cool. That was when I kept talking about ferns. In See, the now past. we're in ferns. Now we're in oh, fern time, Ellen. We've finally gotten, we have gotten to plants. We've That's gotten exciting. to plants. So land the Devonian, yes. The yeah. Devonian is what we call the the Devonian period is what we call the age of fishes. Ooh, Whoa. It's exciting. We have fish. We have the first amphibian showing up. It's Ooh. really exciting. Um, and then we have another mountain building event, which is also <laughs> exciting. <laughs> it's exciting, like, exciting for me because I like mountains. And then we have our – so we have this mountain building event. So this mountain building event is kind of the beginning of where we start our, our late Paleozoic era. And that's what we are here to talk about today because that's when we had most of our coal forming in the u.s in the devonian no in period? the late paleozoic era okay so there are several periods within the late the pa paleozoic era but it's basically like the back half of the paleozoic era is what was important okay. for us and this time period we had we had a thing that we call marine transgressions and marine regressions so that was something that really that really characterized this time period in Earth's history. Okay. So a transgression is when a sea level rises relative to the land that it's on. Okay. So when you when the sea level rises, the shore moves higher. It moves higher up. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yep, higher up the land. So I always think it's like the ocean is transgressing on land that doesn't belong in. That's what <laughs> that's how I remembered it in school. So I was like, it's transgressing. It's a good mnemonic. I understand. And then. When we had regression is when the sea lowers itself mm -hmm. relative to land. And so the shoreline moves farther out to where sea was originally. Mm -hmm. So I think it's like regressing back to our native state. Like we're turning back into fish, you know, okay. like that's a regression. We're regressing back. The ocean is regressing back into itself. <laughs> so these can happen through a bunch of different types of events. You can have like local trans and regressions. This is really common in places that are near glaciers because you have bays when the glaciers form. Sometimes, like Alaska, for example, mm -hmm. you may have a glacier that's, you know, leaking into a bay. And if the water's freezing, it looks, it appears that the water level will drop because, you know, we get a, the ice will become more dense in the water. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that would be a regression. So the shoreline appears to go farther out. Mm -hmm. But a transgression is the opposite of that when it melts and then you have way too much water in the way. Mm. And when we had massive global glaciation events, obviously you would have global rises and falls in sea level. Mm -hmm. So just depends on how much ice is around okay so there were several kind of cyclical events like this and when we have these events they call them cratonic sequences because they affected the craton which is like the stable area of the continents mm -hmm. so that's why they call them cratonic sequences we, in our it must have been the plate tectonics episode yeah i think we talked about craton we talked so about really the, what about a craton is yeah you're excited because you live on a stable craton the we stable all part of the craton and we both of us do it's exciting oh it is exciting it is very exciting <laughs> i think yours is covered under sediment so it's mine but that's fine it's stale craton. i mean anyway it's fine <laughs> so there were two major cratonic sequences in north america in this time one of them was called the cascassia and the other one was called the Amberizoka. so both of these started with a marine transgression so that means they had okay. a sea level rise mm-hmm the sea level rose, but it actually rose over sediment that had been exposed for a long time. So there was okay. like, so it, it was like an erosional surface. That's what we call it. It, had, it was an unconformity. That's the term for it. But that means that it was basically just 
a place where there had been rock, it was exposed to land, it got eroded, and then the sea covered it over. Okay. So there was already, like, fine eroded bits of rock that were now covered with ocean. Yes. Okay. Yes. They started with this transgression, and then these sequences would end with a marine regression. So the the sea level Mm -hmm. would rise. This is the order of operations. Some other geologic event would happen. Mm -hmm. Usually it was, like, a mountain building thing. Okay. And then it would leave, like, you know, mountain sediments behind. And then Mm -hmm. there would be a period of time where the ocean level was stable and... Mm -hmm. Because of that, rocks that were nearby were eroded through other processes, through, like, mm-hmm. you know, rain. Wind, and rain. Wind and, you know, rivers and whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then the sea level rises. Mm-hmm. The sea level falls. Mm-hmm. And then there's another unconformity. There's another period of time where. Where there's more sediment. The ground gets exposed and eroded. Okay. 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 And then it happened again. So uh-huh. we had a sea level rise, sea level rose, erosion. Sea level rise, okay. sea level rose, erosion. Like sea over and over rise, again. Sea level falls. Erosion. Sea level falls and then more erosion yes. happens. Yes. Okay. And we can see it in the rock record, which is really interesting. But, um, and we know it because there are certain types of rocks that form in certain places. And that's what's really cool about sedimentary rocks is it really gives you an idea of the history of the earth at the time that you're looking mm. at. Because sedimentary rocks are really the ones that are kind of your indicators of what was going on at the time. The other thing that was interesting at the time is North America, the North American Craton. Mm. During this period of time, the equator ran directly through North America. Oh. Through the middle of North America. So what it did was it ran Mm. basically from Southern California Mm -hmm. in the west Mm. all the way up to Quebec and Newfoundland. Yes. So the equator was running directly through. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Well, no. Well, yes, you're right. Well, also the, the... Equator was in a different place than it is today. Oh. Well, the pole was probably in a different yes, place. Yes, the poles were in different places <laughs> yeah. than they are today. So that's Good. why. Okay. So, yes. So anyway. <laughs> it was familiar. just a different time. It was just a different time, okay? Everybody was, everybody was trying <laughs> to do things. Turvy. It was a different time. <laughs> okay. So this is the period of time that we call the Mississippian, okay? So this okay. is the Mississippian period. Like Mississippi. Um, yes, exactly. It's characterized by a section of like a huge section of limestone Hmm. that's been deposited in the middle of north america because what was happening is in the middle of north america at this time the majority of north america from west of the appalachians all the way to like california Mm -hmm. was a shallow sea what no it's called an epicontinental sea yes it was like one giant ocean (laughs) basically the entirety of north america because there was i told you we had a sea level rise and then a sea level drop but the thing okay. is, it wasn't just that it was an ocean. It was basically a continental shelf. It was one giant continental shelf. Wow, because it's very shallow. Yes, because okay. before that, we had an unconformity where things had been eroded down to kind of a solid. It's, it wasn't like a one-level surface, but it was like eroded down enough that when the sea level rose, it rose and covered the entire thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was like a giant continental shelf. So you had a bunch right. of really cool critters at the time. Oh, and like a big swimming pool in the middle yeah. of America. <laughs> It's like Bermuda, but all of it was man. We would have had the best real estate. It was on the equator. Oh, yeah. It was yeah, hot. So it must have been nice and it warm. Been so I mean, we would have been underwater, but it's fine. We would have figured it out. It was Hang really out. cool, you know. Okay. And this was at the time there were these critters called crinoids. Crinoids hmm. are they're related to starfish. Okay. And they're kind of terms for anybody who wants to be nerdy about it, but mm-hmm. they're related to starfish. And what they look like is they actually have they look kind of like a flower. They're called sea lilies. That's their like other name. And there's a Pokemon that's named after them. Oh, that the leap. The leap. Thank you. Mm. So <laughs> crinoids are cool because what they did is they had 
a essentially a root system and then they had like a stem part and then they had like a flower part at the top. Mm. So the flower part at the top is where their mouth was and the stem part is what, you know, kept them where they were and then the bottom part was the root that like held them in place. Mm. And they actually were filter feeders, which are same with same with, you know, starfish are also filter feeders. Mm. But what they would do is they'd be implanted in these shallow seas and they would just wave back and forth with the tides and collect whatever would roam by towards their mouths. The thing is the only part of their bodies that had any calcium, uh, calcium carbonate in it, was their stems. The rest of their body was made out of soft goo. Yes. So because of that, a lot of times all we can find fossilized is just their stems. So we see little bits of their stems that you can find. And I actually oh. have a sample of one. Oh. Where it's just like a coiled, solid stem. Mm. But in- we- until we found samples of crinoids that had died in very soft mud we weren't able to see what their bodies looked like because their mouth parts and their roots had you know dissolved when they had died soft Mm -hmm. yeah they were too soft so but crinoids yes this was the the rise of the crinoids there were a lot of crinoids at this time and it was really cool and that's why the state fossil of missouri is a crinoid because Mm. there were so many crinoids around this time it was really exciting there's also amphibians who were very abundant at this time so anyway so that's so that's what's going on in north america at this time and exciting the other thing is Africa is slowly approaching from the southeast, <laughs> creeping up on North America. Over millions and millions of years, concerning. probably. <laughs> it's mildly concerning. It was millions of years. You're correct. Yeah. It's mildly concerning how close that Africa is getting. America's eyeing it. It's like, I don't know about this. I don't know about this at the all. The North American plate and the African plate. And, um, you know, then we get to our next era, the Pennsylvanian era. So during the Pennsylvanian era, it, we have our final mountain building event that actually finishes creating the Appalachian Mountains. Okay. So, because the Appalachian Mountain Range, we've talked about before, but it wasn't just one event. It was multiple events. And the majority of them actually happened through this time period, through and the Paleozoic a, era. As a refresher, the Appalachian Mountain Range runs from the northeastern, like, tip, actually goes into Canada. So right. the northeastern part of the U.S. and southeastern part of Canada. Yeah. Ish into where Georgia is, so so basically still Maine the to Georgia, east, but like much much farther south, almost all of the U.S. Although almost the, all the east coast of the U.S. In the past, basically. it actually ran all the way to Arkansas, but we don't consider that part of the Appalachians no. anymore, really. Hmm. The Appalachian Trail, however, does run from Maine to Georgia. So if mm-hmm. you want to hike the Appalachian Trail, that's where it goes. <laughs> so the Appalachians, this last you know mountain building event was called the Alleghenian Orogeny. So if anybody's from the you know, from Virginia or Pennsylvania, they'll have heard Allegheny before. It's a very common mm-hmm. term. We have in this period of time, this period is called the Pennsylvanian. So what happens is when the when this when Africa smashed into North America very slowly over millions of years, it raised the land that was to the west of the Appalachians. Oh, really? So it it it, it increased the height of the land. Mm, to the so no west. more inland sea. So yes, instead of these shallow inland seas instead what we got were these massive mangrove forests because hmm. we were at the equator still everything yes. was still really close to the equator <laughs> and uh-huh and this is where we had the majority of our coal production oh so we still had periods of time where we had mangrove forests and then we would have you know a change in it was something called a cyclothem where we would have a series of non-marine sediments and then a series of marine sediments and then a series of non-marine sediments and then marine sediments. Okay. So basically, basically there were like tiny, not tiny, but like relatively small rises and falls in sea level mm-hmm. in the area during this time. 
so because of that, we basically got layers of coal and then we'd have layers of, you know, like marine sediments of some sort. And then there'd be coal and then there'd be marine sediment and there'd be coal and then there'd be some sort of oceany marine sediment. So that's what we see today. So we know that there was a change in the environment over time. So sometimes it was a beach, sometimes <laughs> it was a mangrove forest. A bog. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it went back and forth for, you know. Okay, I understand. Hundreds of thousands of years. Yes. So yes, the majority of our coal unsurprisingly comes from the Pennsylvanian okay. period. The Mississippian also has some coal beds, but the majority of it was from the Pennsylvanian. So this is it, this is why coal is classified as a non-renewable resource because it takes like millions of years to form. Yes, it's okay. absolutely non-renewable because it takes forever to form. This was millions of years ago. This was mm-hmm. like 200, no, it was like 300-ish million years ago. That's a long time. I don't get yeah. time for waste. I don't have time <laughs> no, nobody got time for that. Nobody got time for that. You know, that's too long ago. So yes. So we just don't have time for that. I'm just saying. We don't have time for it. And there's an equivalent to this Mississippian, Pennsylvanian on the other side of, you know, Europe and Africa. Africa. They call it the Carboniferous period. They kind of lump them both together. But for okay. us, they were two very distinctly different events that were happening at that time. Okay. So that's why we call it Mississippian and then Permian. Because okay. the United States looked completely different. The, all of North America looked completely different mm-hmm. uh, between those two points in time. So that's how they got here. That's how we got here today. <laughs> that's how we got to coal millions of years ago. Most of our anthracite resources, so our yeah. most highly graded coal, is unsurprisingly closer to where the mountain building event was. Mm, more hotter, more squishier. Yes, yes. The anthracite coal was located closer to the Appalachians. And then as you go farther mm. west of the United States, it becomes bituminous, subbituminous coal hmm. so the most of the reserves in the middle of the united states are bituminous hmm. interesting there there are larger reserves for things like oil and gas uh hmm. when you get into the middle of the united states and that's because it was a giant ocean and <laughs> the way that you get oil and gas is through ocean processes and we'll talk about that through another day but basically from dead critters from the ocean that's how you get your oil and gas so with coal so. you're getting the sediment of dead critters no, basically coal is plants oh but like oil is animals and plants I yes guess. oh yeah it's all sorts of mm. bioaccumulated material i see coal is specifically from plants essentially because oh. it's just carbon solid carbon i never thought about that yeah okay that makes sense so we have coal what do you think the main i think i brought it up before but what's the main use of coal that we have well for humans we're burning it for energy to make yes. uh electric power basically yes so now that we know how we made it let's talk about how we use it okay so coal there are kind of like two main uses for coal one of them as you said was electricity production and this is like globally the second main use is coke to turn coal into coke mm-hmm. and coke is a substance that is made from coal but it's combined with iron and it's used to make steel so that's why okay. we need to get coke mm-hmm. um and, and i was going to talk about the two processes i don't know if you know how how does coal become energy and then how does... i know how coal becomes electric energy yes i don't know how coal becomes coke okay cool we'll talk about those both <laughs> so for anybody who doesn't know the main way that coal becomes electricity for us is through combustion mm-hmm. so the process for comb- combustion is when you take coal and you burn it and when you burn it, it produces heat. Yep. This heat then boils water. So usually they have like pipes or something, some sort of connected water system that's used um, to boil this water, which then produces steam, which is mm-hmm. collected. And it's collected in a turbine. So the steam ends up turning the turbine. And this turbine is what actually generates the electricity. Yep. 
So that's the long and short of it. And the thing is, the main constituents from burning coal are carbon dioxide, water, sulfur dioxide, and nitrogen monoxide. Mm-hmm. So that's like the first stage of burning coal. There's like basically two, multiple stages of burning coal when you burn it. So it's when it starts out, you could burn it and it, you get those byproducts, the, all those gases and water. Okay. And you also turn the coal into char. Char gets burned again through a secondary process. And this generates heat, which heats water, which produces electricity. So that's, you know, the char also when it burns down, it burns and produces ash, you know. So it's like you're basically slowly destroying coal, turning it into our energy we needed and crushing the life out of it. Mm-hmm. And this ash needs to be collected and filtered. Otherwise, it'll get released into the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Same with all the gases that come out are as byproducts from coal when you're burning coal. So carbon dioxide, water, sulfur, all of those volatiles, which we'll talk about that term in a bit. But what I learned in school is that they <laughs> have like um, smokestacks or whatever, where they collect like the, the gas that's escaping from the burning of the coal and the ash that's suspended in the air is scrubbed out of the air so that ideally the air that leaves is cleaner. It's essentially a, the chemicals. reason they have those smokestacks are for filtering systems. Yes. Because in the past, they used to just release it as it goes out. <laughs> but that's why they good. have smokestacks to help it's collect bad. all of the all the, all the the gross that comes out of coal when you burn it. Yeah. And particularly, again, we mentioned this before, but the lower grade the coal, the more that comes out of it when you burn it. So mm-hmm. the higher the grade. The more not carbon <laughs> yes, comes out of more, it. The more <laughs> volatiles get released, the more things get released into the air that you Do don't you want. Do you have like a definition of a volatile? Yes. Chemical? So I was going to talk about that. So okay. a volatile is a compound or an element that can readily vaporize, meaning it can turn into a gas. Okay. So things that are less volatile are substances that will readily liquefy or solidify. So an example okay. of a highly volatile compound would be rubbing alcohol. So rubbing oh, alcohol yeah. is liquid, okay. but you know when you pour it out, it vaporizes, it becomes gas. Yeah, it evaporates as as very quickly. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then a like a low volatile would be like an oil, like peanut oil or vegetable oil. Because even when you heat it, it doesn't evaporate. You know, it stays it stays a liquid. So that would be an example of something that's not. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So that would be an example of something that's not very volatile. But so, yes, so we have several volatiles, things that turn into gases and try to escape into our atmosphere, which we don't want them. And then we have, you know, the char, the ashes, the bits of (laughs) burnt coal Uh coming through. So that's so that's how coal produces electricity for us, which is great. Mm-hmm. And then we also have coke. So coke is created through a destructive distillation process, and this process is called coking. And I'll talk about that. I can see Ellen's face. She's like, "What the heck kind of thing did she just say?" Oh, you can just I see it in your face. <laughs> I understood all the words individually. Yes. <laughs> but when you put them together, you're like, "I'm not sure about that." Um, the reason that coal is coked, quote unquote, the term. Um, is to remove impurities from the coal. Okay. And you want, because when you do this process, what you do is you actually leave behind nearly pure carbon. And I know I mentioned before that anthracite coal is the closest to being pure pure carbon as you can get, but it's Mm -hmm. such a rare supply that sometimes you have to go through this process with other things, with other things like bituminous or subbituminous coal to get as close to pure carbon as you can possibly get. Mm -hmm. So coking coal actually causes the coal to soften liquefy and then re-solidify into hard but they they have like porous it has more of a porous texture but they're Mm. still like hard lumps 
Coke Coal also has really low sulfur and phosphorus contents, which is good because you get rid of it all through this process. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you heat the coal about a thousand to eleven hundred degrees Celsius, and anyone can do this in, at home. I mean, <laughs> yeah, a thousand degrees Celsius oven. Yeah. Um, Okay, and, so you and you do this, you heat the coal specifically in the absence of oxygen. So you have to put it in a oh, sealed okay. container. Oh. So this process of heating it in a sealed container is called pyrolysis. Mm. So what it does is when you heat it in a sealed container, it actually drives off. It forces off all the volatile compounds. It forces out anything that wants to be a gas. So it separates mm. the gases and the solids, essentially, mm-hmm. is the process that you're going through. So you're separating things like oxygen and sulfur and keeping it separate from the carbon because mm-hmm. that's what you want. You want the carbon. So what this does is this process actually results in a, a hard, porous material that we call coke. Mm-hmm. And what they do is, the way they produce it is they make something called a coke battery, which is many different coke ovens stacked in a row. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I just thought it was funny that it was called a battery. It just amused me. Okay. Anyway, so it's a battery. So it's a, it's a series of coke ovens that are in a row. You load coal, coal into them, uh-huh. and then you cook them. And you okay. cook the coal and it takes like 12 to 36 hours in these Coke ovens to to compress the coal down into the Coke that you want it to be. And this process also creates two byproducts. It creates Coke tar and Coke gas. So the Coke gas, obviously you can guess, are the volatiles that are coming out of the Coke in the process. Mm-hmm. Coke tar is a liquid that's pushed out of the vessel. Same with the the gas. They release the gas out, you know, so they can keep compressing it through heat. for a while. Yeah. Okay. And once pushed out of the vessel once you okay so you have the, your car your your coke tar and your coke gas collected separately yeah. the hot coke the just solid uh remaining carbon, carbon yes. is then pushed out of this these ovens uh-huh. and they they either and it's liquid at the time no it's a solid oh, it's okay. a solid by this point they've already squeezed out you know through heat they've already squeezed out all the other so stuff that they don't want there's coke coke gas and coke tar yes three separate and then there's things. coke yes okay yeah coke okay. is what we want Coke tar yes. and Coke gas are byproducts. Don't want. Okay. Correct. Well, they're they're usable byproducts. They're just but, not what we're looking for when we're trying yeah. to make Coke. Yes. So the solid Coke is taken out of the ovens, usually through some sort of like conveyor belt system. And they either blast it with water or they let it's it hot. cool. Yeah. Or they let it cool in air before okay. they store it, obviously, because they okay. want to cool down. Yeah. And then they'll either that or sometimes if it's still hot, sometimes if they have it on site, they'll just take it directly to a blast furnace. And it gets used to heat up iron for iron making. Yeah, so how is coke actually used for... It's used to heat the iron? To get it really, really, really hot. So I think iron, it gets hotter than regular coal does to get iron. Because iron needs to be at a really hot temperature to melt. Mm-hmm. That's why I think you need coke. But I could be wrong about that. Coke is used as the fuel and a reducing agent in melting iron ore. It is produced... When coke is consumed, it generates intense heat but little smoke, making it ideal mm. for smelting iron and steel. Yeah, there's yeah. no technology at scale to make steel without coal. Just because it's so, um, you know, it's smokeless. You need it to burn very hot. Yeah, too. you just need it to burn super, super hot, and it's and it doesn't create okay. a lot of it doesn't generate. So a lot it's of just smoke. used as a fuel to bur- to melt. Like it's to a more refined fuel. Okay, it's a more refined fuel that's used to process iron. Mm-hmm. So that you can make your. It's also refined by heating. Yeah. Yes. So, so you can you smelt. So you can coal, smelt your iron. Refine the coal by heating. And smelt then your iron. once you have that, you can then burn that refined coal and then smelt the iron ore to get iron. Yes. And it just makes the steel process easier or and to, faster, yeah, which is why they do it. Yeah, to get that for steel. Yes. Yes. The steel, fa- the steel process is much easier and faster when you have something that burns at such a high heat mm-hmm. and doesn't release a lot of smoke. That's why they mm-hmm. do it. Okay. So 
the two byproducts that I talked about were coke gas and coke tar. Coke tar I wanted to talk about because it's Mm -hmm. used for a number of things. Really? The two things that I wanted to talk about were, one, it's used to surface roads. And I know you've seen this before. It's a tar. So -hmm. you've seen it. And you've seen it also. People used to use it to tar roofs as well. Mm -hmm. And some places still do, I think. Okay. And the other thing it's used for that surprised me, it's actually used to treat psoriasis. Really? Weird. Of the skin? Yes. So tar is just a heavy oil essentially Uh you know so it's like petroleum jelly is refined petroleum yes and then you use it on your skin yeah yes the thing is i was also reading that there are several different studies that seem to indicate that it is a known human carcinogen so um (laughs) right you know i'm just saying even though it is a recommended treatment for psoriasis i don't know if i would put it on my skin but anyway that's that's all i had about cold cold today i just You know, I didn't really want to go into the mining processes too deeply just because I think I want to do a separate mining episode. Even though it is not necessarily the safest for our atmosphere, it is still very heavily used throughout the world. And it's not like we could just stop using it immediately and still get the energy production that we need in the United States and in other countries. I think we'll probably do a lot of other you know, energy sources someday. We'll probably talk about other things. But more importantly, I just want to talk about coal because it's Christmas and you all should get coal because you deserve it. <laughs> no, don't make 2020 even no, worse No, but geology likes coal. I'm telling them <laughs> they deserve it because I like them. <laughs> That's how a geologist sees. When Santa comes with coal for a geologist, they know they've done good, you know? That's true. I mean, it is something that's millions of years old. So it took so long to get there. I don't know how that became the tradition to give people coal if they're bad, because coal is so useful. Why wouldn't you want coal? I think I it's don't very, understand. very pedestrian. I guess. You know? I mean, also, I guess kids, it's not candy or whatever. Kids don't want coal. They want like toys to play with. You can't play with coal. The point is, as a geologist, I think you all deserve coal. <laughs> I hope everyone gets a coal sample for Christmas <laughs> or whatever sample you want. I do want. too. And even if you don't celebrate Christmas, I hope someone gives you coal in your Personally, stocking. after our first episode, I'm looking for a good like pyrite almondite sample myself. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm sure not every of our listeners celebrates Christmas, but we do and... We would like to wish those who do happy Christmas happy and anyone who doesn't. We hope that you have a happy, you know, December time and <laughs> enjoy, you know, winter, happy winter solstice. I mean, winter solstice is now ish, you know, also um, happy Hanukkah's just the days over. are really short still, you know, <laughs> happy hot. If you're in the southern hemisphere, cold in the warmer hem- in the northern no, no, hemispheres. No. We're on the up and up, though, at least in the northern hemisphere, the daylight is now getting longer. We've passed the shortest day of the That's year. That's true. So. We did pass the shortest Something day. Something to look forward to in 2021. Yes. So, <laughs> so yes. You know. Thanks for joining us this year. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Listening it's been a wild ride. <laughs> we talked about a lot of rocks and a lot of minerals, or at least a few minerals, I guess. We talked about volcanoes. We talked about earthquakes. We talked about oh, yeah, we tsunamis. Talked about tsunamis. That was a we talked about a lot of we talked about a lot of bummers this year. <laughs> Turns out you can't go against the environment. <laughs> you know, you know the earth will come back at you, but that's fine. <laughs> so we're uh, on that note. We're going to take just a short winter break so that we can do our winter time activities. So our next episode will come out February fourth. So it's the first Thursday in February. We're taking a little like uh, a long winter's nap. Yeah. As it were. <laughs> So we'll be back in February with our next episode. What are we going to talk about in our next episode? It's a good so time to in tease. our next episode, because it'll still be winter time in the northern in hemisphere. hemisphere. <laughs> I plan to talk about something that's ice cold. Something frosty. Something that is as cold as ice. So I'm planning to talk about glaciers. Ooh. 
And specifically glacial morphology is what we'll be talking about, but that's fancy. So glaciers. Cool. Ice. We're talking about ice. Ice. (laughs) Fancy ice. Uh, The technical term for glaciers are fancy ice. And I'll have you know. (laughs) Good. Sounds important to know. (laughs) And maybe we'll talk about AF Yetla Yogol. You never know. What? (laughs) (laughs) And on that note... We'll see you next time. Yo, thanks for listening. Oh, if you want to, you can tell us about your, if you want to chat about your research or you still want to tell us about your favorite, uh, whatever, you could tell us about your favorite rock that or mineral that you received as a Christmas present oh, or yeah. a holiday present of any kind. Or you can uh, tell us about your favorite rock and mineral. Absolutely. Or if you have any questions about studying geology, which we seem to get a lot of questions about, you can send us a direct message or tag us on our Twitter at SaidMyDearPod. You can message us or comment on our Instagram, which is also at SaidMyDearPod. You can uh, send a message to our website, which is SedimentaryMyDear.com, or you can email us at SedimentaryPodcast at gmail.com. Okay, thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Have a good... We'll see you in 2021. Yes. Okay, bye. Bye. Our sources for this episode are How is Steel Produced by the World Coal Association, Annual Energy Review by the U.S. Energy Information Administration, and How Much Do You Consume by the U.S. Department of Energy. Music for It's Sedimentary, My Dear is provided by Solar Slays. You can find his music at youtube.com slash user slash C-C-F-U-L.